Welcome to the Run Run Live 4.0 podcast, where we plumb the daily adventure of endurance sports. Let us seize this precious moment together and squeeze the life from it like a golden lemon sent to us fresh today from the emissaries of the gods. Terribly happy guy Then he ate a moldy pumpkin pie Then he thought that he just couldn't die So Ned, he laughed so hard and made him cry Made him Hello and welcome to the Run Run Live podcast, episode 4-378. And this is your dear friend, Chris. And how is everything going? I am trying very hard to get back on my publishing schedule, to get back in balance. Not just because I believe consistency is a big part of quality in the product you consume here. I do appreciate your attention and I'm grossly aware of my duty I also need to keep writing to keep my own creative furnace fueled, which is why I started doing this in the first place, partly to help people and myself become better versions of ourselves by sharing some of that tribal knowledge that we've accumulated over the eons that we've been practicing amateur endurance athletes, but also to keep my communication skills tuned up. Writing as well as reading this copy to you with as much gusto as I can recruit. Well, maybe not gusto, but at least enviable sincerity. That's what we're going for. So today, we catch up with my coach, Jeff, and he and I talk through the ups and downs of my 2017 training season. You know, I like to use myself as sort of a test subject to see what worked, what didn't. It's always important to look back at your training, your successes, and your failures to see if you can learn anything. You're never too old to learn. And we talked for a long time. I'm going to try to edit it down to a reasonable size, but I'll probably post the raw interview, (laughs) the unedited interview, out on the members feed. In section one, we will talk about overtraining and how to realize when you're getting overtrained and what the symptoms are and how to avoid it. In section two, I'm going to tell you 10 things that you don't know about me. You know, like on one of those Facebook posts. And it's cold up here in New England now. We're in full-on winter. We had some good snow on Christmas to make everything festive. And it's below zero Fahrenheit this week. Yeah. But more importantly, how is Buddy, the old wonder dog? Well... In December, he turned 14 years old, which is pretty damn old for a Border Collie. He's an old man, and his hips don't work so well, and he's deaf. 
but he's still pretty sharp. He's mentally sharp. But he gets skinnier every day. He's a skinny old man. And the kids dress him in sweaters this time of year. And they use him as a blanket to stay warm when they're watching TV. He's very warm. He's well-loved. He barks a lot, just like an old man. He wants to be heard and doesn't have time for niceties. He'll stand in the front yard and bark at the woods at night. So picture it as a 98-year-old man in his underwear yelling at the coyotes to stay off his lawn. When I was a boy, we had real coyotes, not these namby-pamby city coyotes they got now. Yeah, buddy. So I ran out of podcasts to listen to last week. I've been changing phones a lot and have lost some of the regular podcasts I used to listen to. I've done some house cleaning, some pruning, podcasts come and go. It's an industry now, right? And the old amateurs like myself, we are the anomaly. I opened the app and was looking around and went to see what Steve was doing over at Fidipidations. He sort of fell off over the last couple of years. But the app sorted, when I subscribed, the app sorted with the oldest first. So I saw and downloaded a couple of his marathon race reports from 2005, the Bay State Marathon and the Cape Cod Marathon. And I got to tell you, Steve did a great job with those old podcasts. Really compelling and interesting stuff. Really well produced, entertaining. And you can hear how much in love he is with his training and his racing and the newness of the sport and the community. And if you listen to the Bay State Race episode, you will hear my buddy Frank calling out Steve's name at one of the first water stops, the one with the uh, rock and roll music playing. That's our water stop. That's the same Frank who, ironically, qualified at Bay State with me a few weeks ago. I wasn't at the water stop in 2005. I was actually running that race with Steve. Uh, Not with Steve, but I was running that race at the same time he was. And I think I ran both those races, the Cape Cod one too. And I came up short in both, if I remember correctly. And I think that year I ran a race in Maryland around Thanksgiving to finally get my qualification time. That was a year and a half or so before I started podcasting, but I would have been in the process of writing and publishing my first book of running stories, The Midpackers Lament, which is still available on Amazon.com. And I love that about the, the podcasting thing, right? Being able to capture a moment of time, being able to freeze the river of time and that person you were. It's a slice of self-awareness. That Steve didn't know what the future would hold, and that Chris didn't know either. And in our hopeful narratives, we saw that moment as a waypoint on an upward slope into the future. I think the one important takeaway for me is to understand that today, this race, this fitness, this Chris is a unique thing and may very well be as good as it gets Think about that. How would you run your race? How would you live your life if today was as good as it gets? Seize the day. Savor that day. Today is really all you have. The past is an old movie spinning sepia images across time. The future is nobody's business. Today is your day. So use it. Enjoy it. On with the show. It is when we learn to leave our comfort zone that we find ourselves communing with our inner strength. 
Overtraining symptoms. How do you know if you're working too hard? This is an interesting question. First, because overtraining can be both physical or mental, and it's usually a little bit of both. Second, because how do you tell? How do you tell the difference between just being tired, which is expected from training, and being in a state of overtraining? To understand overtraining, you have to understand training. Training is a series of physical and mental challenges that you plan for yourself over the course of a training cycle. Typically, these challenges will increase in difficulty and specificity over the course of that training cycle. The whole point of these challenges or workouts is to push your body and mind a little bit further than you have before. And these challenges require you to marshal resources. And these challenges break you down. And you know when you finish that long run or tempo run or other challenging workout that it was hard. You may be tired or even exhausted. Your muscles may be sore the next day. The process of training is to systematically break you down a little bit with each of these challenges. The challenges cause your body and your mind to adapt, to change in response, and get stronger. This is the process of training. Push and recover. Push and recover. Each wave of training as you progress through the cycle is a bigger push, and each time you recover to a higher level of race-specific fitness. And that final push is the hardest, and then your taper is the final recovery. That is the point of your peak race fitness. The result of adapting to all the pushes throughout the cycle that got you to this highly adapted fitness level for your event. Now, overtraining happens when your body or your mind doesn't recover from the push. You become overtrained when you don't get the adaption bounce. You keep pushing, but instead of adapting and bouncing back, your machine stresses. Overtraining is cumulative stress without recovery. The difference is hard to tease out, especially if you're a newer athlete. With experience, you'll start to see the symptoms. With experience, you'll start to see the difference between being tired and being overtrained. You can get the same situation from over-racing. Too many hard or long efforts in a row and your system enters a kind of stress stasis where no adaptation is occurring. You're basically in survival mode. And as you get older, it takes longer to recover from the hard pushes. It becomes easier to get broken down. The key to sensing and responding to an overtraining situation is, as trite as it sounds, listening to your body. So what are the symptoms of overtraining? Well, the first one is physical exhaustion. The number one symptom is being physically exhausted. And I'll write that in my workout logs. Got the workout done, but felt heavy and tired. Coach will see that and keep an eye on it. If he sees three or four of those in a week, he'll give me more rest or more cross-training. Being in a state of abnormal tiredness is the main symptom of overtraining. If you're like me, you hate missing workouts and will try to do them even if you're exhausted. If you're like me, a bad race or a bad workout makes you want to hit the next workout even harder. And if you're overtrained, this is the worst thing you can do. 
If you continue to train hard after you have passed that breaking point, it'll require even more time to recover. Undoubtedly, you've seen the stories of elite athletes that had to take months off to recover from the long-term stress of racing into a deficit condition. Second symptom is no pop. One of the things I look for in my training and racing is what I call pop. And it's that feeling of strength and energy that you will get in your legs at the beginning of a workout or at the end of a training cycle. If I write in my log, no pop, coach knows my legs are not fully recovered or that something else is going on, like sleep or nutrition. And one bad workout is not overtraining, but three or four bad workouts are races in a row, and you need to reassess what you're doing. If you're training consistently, you should feel that energy, that pop in your legs when you recover fully from the last push. If you don't, that may be a leading indicator. The other symptom of overtraining is mental exhaustion. You can be mentally exhausted as well, especially in the winter months. Too much for too long and your brain checks out. I try to condition myself for this. I call it the dark place that occurs towards the end of a training cycle where the volume and the effort seem unreasonably difficult. If I know it's coming, I can set my mind to it. So a symptom of overtraining is when you just don't want to do the workouts. You're sick of it. You start faking workouts or skipping them for not really great reasons. If you can't engage your mind to at least soldier through and make a decent effort, you may need a mental break. There's no shame in that. Racing is as much about the mind as it is about the body. Both need to be in peak shape for you to execute your best event. So the effects of overtraining are insidious. They're hard to see when you're inside the training cycle. It's awesome to have a coach looking over your shoulder and doing the thinking for you. If you find yourself in an overtrained state, the right thing to do is to back off and recover. There's no benefit to pushing through. Your body or your mind has lost the ability to recover and benefit from the workouts. You need to regain that resilience before you can continue. So if you catch it early, it may mean an easy week in your schedule. If you try to push through it, it could be several weeks before your body is able to train effectively again. And now for today's featured interview. So I wanted to talk to you about my training over the last six months or so. Just get your input on it. What you saw from the outside looking in, I can tell you what I've sort of saw and felt last summer or last last spring I didn't I didn't run any races I just raced Boston and then over the summer I didn't run any races either really um, nothing nothing significant and then I ended up running the Maine marathon in Portland Maine and kind of crashing out in that one and then coming back what six weeks later yeah six weeks later and running Bay State Marathon and executing very well there. Um, and then I ran a couple of small ones after that and didn't feel so hot. <laughs> but, you know, what did you see on the outside looking in, looking at my training? I mean, what, what were you trying to do and what did we actually do? Well, I think Bay State was, in, in my mind, was the, was the A race. 
And in my mind, Bay State was the A race because I remember you saying me very early on when you scheduled that race that Bay State is a race that you've always qualified at. Yeah. And so in in my mind, I said, okay, well, that's going to be the race that we're really going to be geared up and ready for. And and I think that's the way it, that's the way it went. I mean, we had a lot a lot of um, time on feet um, prior to Bay State, and you came out. You know, you came out of the one marathon and it wasn't great, but it was, you know, it was a lot of time on feet, a lot of conditioning time that we could recover from because we had enough time to recover from it and have one big build week going into Bay State and, and turned out it worked out perfectly. Yeah. And that, if, if you remember that main marathon, we screwed up the um, the race date. Yeah. And so we uh, we forgot the taper, which a guy my yeah. age kind of needed taper. So I had that yeah. in the back of my mind going into this race that I didn't taper, and I think it kind of got to me. You know, and it's and it's funny because I mean I, I talk about this more and more now all the time is is what happens to us mentally and how the mind shuts the body down if it if it doesn't want it to go, and if if you go into a race with that mindset, you know, it's, it's a pretty good chance that you know, the minute things start you know coming undue a little bit. You know, rather than going through it because you've been there before, you're just kind of ready to shut it down. And and I think that I think that probably happened. So and but but again, it wasn't to me. It wasn't a bad. It wasn't that bad a thing. And only because I knew our conditioning was good going in. It wasn't race conditioning because there was no taper. But your conditioning was good. And coming out of that race with six weeks to basically recover to get ready for base state, I think we we're in pretty good shape. So. Yeah, I just treat it like a long run. Yeah, you handle, you know, for an old guy, you handle miles really well. You know, and and if you get the, and if you get the proper recovery in, um, you know, and and you, you don't get pigheaded enough that you'd want to keep racing in between races, when you get the proper recovery in, when you have a lot of miles on you, you run well. You know, you have that old man speed that we have when we get, you know, 50 years old. And I had somebody ask me that Sunday when I was out running, they said, and did an hour and 45 and the rest of the club did, you know, 45 minutes, right? Mm -hmm. Um, And somebody said, what are you training for? I said, I'm not training for anything. This is just to maintain my base. Yeah, it's always a good thing to keep the base up, even in the off season and how high you want to take it is just depending on, you know, on, on who you are as, as an athlete and you, you know, an hour and 45 minute run, it's, you know, it's a small excursion on a Sunday afternoon or Sunday morning, whenever you do it. Right. Yeah. And that's what I've always just a sort of a learning point. I've always done when I'm in between training cycles, I've always said somewhere around two hours for a long run is a good, you know, somewhere around the half marathon distance for me, you know, at a slow pace is a good, a good maintenance distance for a long run on, on a weekend. Exactly. Exactly. And, and again, that just comes from, you know, years and years and years of doing it. Our generation trained differently, obviously. And then the generations now, because we know so much more about training. Could we have been faster back in our day? Probably. Has it hurt us today? No, because I think it's conditioned our bodies to uh, work harder, longer, because of the way you know we abused our bodies back then you know those of us are really you know those of us who survived without getting injured you know now can handle a lot more at least volume wise like i i know personally i hardly ever do any quality work anymore it's just mostly volume 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 but you know i can handle a lot of volume because of the you know 
because of the way we did it when we were younger. And I think you're that way too. You could, you, you're always able to handle a lot of volume. And, you know, when you get the right amount of recovery going into a race, you race well because of that. Yeah. So the other thing that happened to me, which was interesting on that, that main marathon, that first one, is when I went out, I felt fantastic for the first half of that marathon. And I was running way over my head. I was running like 730s where I should have been running 810s. And that was the other part. Problem. Yeah, I mean, and I knew I was doing it. I just felt yeah. so good. It was it was almost like, I know this isn't going to end well, but I'm just going to yeah. enjoy it. I'm just going to well, enjoy it. Cause I well, the great right. part about that was, you know, the great part about that was it ends up being a great long run with a good aerobic threshold point in the middle of it, right? So... <laughs> Yeah, so, but but to my credit, after I got to the, you know, like 10, 11, 12 miles, I, I said, okay, now now we have to back down and save our legs for the next race. But again, that's another thing that, you know, comes from the, the lots of years of wisdom. And you and I, you know, we say this all the time. We know in the first five miles what kind of day it's going to be, right? So it's, you know, that, that wisdom of, of where you're at and how it's going to end up you know, is, is a good thing. It's like, okay, well, it's time to shut it down or, oh, it's going to be a good day for 26 miles, right? Yeah. And the hard part, like you said, the, the long stuff doesn't scare me anymore. I mean, especially, you know, this year specifically, I stopped really using any fueling um, for training other than water. And I think that really helped me adapt to some of the longer stuff. You know, as long as it's zone two, as long as it's just a grind, I can go forever. And, and again, and it, it's funny because you know how the, the the two biggest words in the industry right now are fat adaptive. And um, you know, back in our day when we were younger, what were we? You know, we had water and salt tablets, right? And you know, we weren't throwing bars and and gels and goos into our system, so we burned fat. And uh, you know, over an over the, the period of lots of running in a lifetime, we're actually pretty fat adaptive. Our generation is actually pretty fat adaptive. And that's why you can just jump out there and drink water and go for, cause I can do that as well. I can go out, you know, two hours without anything. Yeah. And, yeah. and, and I'm fine. Yeah. I ran two hours yesterday on a half a bottle of water, but it was 10 degrees yeah. out. So <laughs> I probably burned a lot of calories in that run. There's a lot of things that come along that keep you, you know, going that, so that someone else needs to do that you don't necessarily need to do anymore. No. Yeah, but I think just the the tip I would have for people is, you know, all that sugar is just in your head. It's in your head. Yeah. You don't need it. You just no. don't need it. It's a crutch. And uh, largely to, to blame, you know, lies in the coaching industry. You know, the coaches have bought into these products and as on sponsorships, and, and so they. You know, they're pushing these sugary products out there and, and people don't understand what the effect that it's having on their body, that up and down and up and down. And I need more. I need more. And, and coaches and athletes saying you need 200, 300 calories an hour, which just isn't true. I, so I have a new product I'm going to plug here, by the way. We'll, we'll, we'll talk about it. It's something I'm looking at bringing in a product called F2C. It's a, a, it's a, a Canadian um, product and it's, it's very low in sugar Is and has no, <laughs> it has it has a lot of the same properties as you can. Um, it it's it's a fast release through the gut and a slow release of energy over over an extended period of time. And and uh, and I think it's because it's very very clean. The ingredients are very very clean. There's no sugar in it. They're very low in sugar per serving. And um, I like that because I, I like you. I think you know sugar is the devil. So so I'll tell you what I did. It's not all sugar. It's just processed sugar, right? So. Yeah. 
What I did for the 50K I ran in, when was that? June? I ran that? May? But anyhow, I ran this trail 50K. It took me almost seven hours. And yeah. They, it was a figure eight, so you could stop by your, you know, your drop bag every 3K or 5K, right? So I put a cooler there and I put a bunch of smoothies. So basically almond milk and, and fruit is essentially what it is, right? With a scoop of vegan protein powder in it. And I would drink one of those every 10K. And that was awesome for just like keeping, it didn't give you like that big energy pop, like an espresso gel goo would, but it yeah. kept the fire burning, you know? Yeah, which is, it, it, then that's exactly what you want, right? You want the fire to keep burning, the energy levels to stay steady, and uh, you know none of the ups and downs and, and the overload of sugar and calories. So Right, because what I found in when I used to fuel with the more sugary stuff is after a while your stomach just revolts, right? Your stomach says, I can't do this anymore. Yeah. And you just don't feel like eating, right? You can't process this stuff. But if you give it something that's kind of real food, it, it keeps moving along. That being said, I did eat run-of-the-mill generic gels for the base day marathon, you know, one every eight miles or so, right? One more thing I want to talk to you about is that Thanksgiving Day 5K. Yeah. Right? Because we trained for that. I mean, I trained hard for that, and uh, I felt like death when I got out on that course. <laughs> My legs were moving, but there was nothing there. I mean, I ran faster well, last year with no training. Well, I think that again, you're coming out of out of the Bay State Marathon, and you know you had a good race there, and there wasn't enough downtime. And you know, we jumped right in, and we tried to throw some interval stuff on in there to get a little bit more pop back in the legs. And I think, all you know, in essence, it probably just pretty much wore you out. And when you got there, you just didn't have that. And and you know, it's accumulation of a lot of races in a short period of time. You know, you just can't recover from that. I think also we did that uh, that once a runner workout, which I pushed to the Saturday from the Friday. I think that was that was critical error because that yeah. was that was the kind of workout that you need a good three days to recover from. At yeah. my age, anyhow. Yeah. It was a yeah. set set of basically I think thirty two hundreds or something like that, something ridiculous like that. Yeah, I think it's like three thirty two hundred. Yeah, which is you know, which is it's you know, it's a workout. I it's a workout I use you know primarily for my five k and ten k people. Yeah, but I thought, well, let's see if we can't get some quick five k speed back in you, and you know, probably mistake on on my part trying to to give you too much too soon after the marathon. But I know how competitive you like to get. And, yeah, no, it was worth a try. I can see uh, I can see twenty years ago that I would have got a great five k out of that workout. Because I would have bounced, you know, but I didn't get yeah. the bounce. Didn't get the bounce. So I think maybe if did it, you know, a week earlier and then did a week of taper, right, instead of, um, you know, four days earlier. And then, then of course, I did a um, sort of a tempo run the next day on Sunday, which is a real big mistake. And I was yeah. feeling it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Wore myself out. Didn't get the bounce. I mean, you say, what are we going to do over the winter? You got Boston coming up, so I have to start training for that. You know, but that's just keeping the miles up for the most part. Yeah, right now we're just keeping your miles up. Um, you know, getting you ready for Boston, and you know, after the turn, after the turn of the new year, you know, we'll start working a little bit harder. 
and maybe we'll get lucky this year and have good weather at Boston and you'll be able to actually run it. Yeah, I was trying to think of something else fun to do that I haven't done before. You know, I, I think a triathlon would be too much coordination with my schedule right now. You know, it'd be too hard yeah. to do that stuff. Maybe you can find a good 50K somewhere. Yeah, I like the 50K. It's good distance. And and they're usually in interesting places, right? Yeah, they normally have great great places for 50Ks. A lot of you know, a lot of good runs in New England. You know, a lot of good trail races up in New England, down through and through Pennsylvania, and so a lot of places that you could travel to and and travel by car. So, yep, not too time consuming. Done the mountain bike thing before. Those are usually out in July and August. They're like the ultras, right? They cluster around July and August. Yeah, so maybe you should do an Xterra, an off road triathlon. Yeah, yeah. No, I've never done one of those. That that might be fun. And there, and you know, they generally most Xterras are either sprint distance or you know they'll have a sprint distance and then an Olympic distance race. So they're not very, they're not real long. Yeah. You know, most of the bike rides are between thirteen and sixteen miles. The swims are very seldom over a thousand yards, and the runs are between five k and ten k. So yeah. yeah, so the work leading into it is yeah, is not real time consuming. Yeah, and plus you can do the the mountain biking. I mean, it takes some practice to get the the feeling back yeah. but the leg work you can do on the stationary bike well i have my own marathon on the 31st of december you didn't forget about that did you my annual your own marathon no, where, you, where are you going oh, we just you and your buds go out and do it maybe i should start something like that down here i just yeah it's it's funny that's uh proves my theory that if you do something stupid enough people will join you <laughs> it's so true <laughs> I think that's how Iron Man got started, isn't it? Yeah, exactly. It's like, <laughs> this, this is stupid. We're going to go do this. And then, yeah. go, oh, that sounds like fun. Yeah. That's, that's, you got to be a leader, right? <laughs> yeah, that's right. You just, you just have to be the first one to do it. Oh, yeah. I'm trying to think of something something outlandish I can do for the summer or the spring. But it's going to be my, but I, I do have to be in shape for Boston because it's going to be my 20th Boston. Yeah, this is a big, this is a big Boston for you, the 20th one. And, um, I think we should go into there as prepared as, as we possibly can to have a really good day and then hope that we get, you know, one of those years where there's actually good weather to run it and, and have a great race. Yeah. So what would your recommendation be for people who are rolling off a, uh, a fall racing season, right? And, you know, uh-huh. you got to start training again, probably in, you know, the next 30 days or so. But I mean, what, what do you recommend people do? Maybe they're fighting some niggles or some tears or something. Yeah, you know, it's hopefully that people get to, and I know I do it with all my athletes. At the end of the season, I say, okay, let's, you know, let's start at the feet and go up through the head and, you know, let's find out what's really been hurting and what's really been strained over the training and racing season, if anything has. And, you know, let's just completely rest that part of the body and treat it and get it well, you know, everyone needs to take some downtime during the year. I mean, it's just, it's it, the elites do it. I don't know why age groupers think they don't have to. Um, so, you know, you take that downtime because that downtime actually allows your body to repair and you generally come out stronger after right. that downtime. You know, I know some, you know, some elite, um, you know, Ironmen and, and marathoners who could take almost a, a full three weeks off of not doing anything, you know, maybe swimming at the most just to let their bodies um, recover. And then you want to, you know, you, you start wanting to do, start one with some preseason strength and conditioning work. 
you know, let's let's re-strengthen the parts that got hurt. Let's let's add a, a much more. I know over the years, and you can probably attest to this. I've I've added a lot more flexibility stuff to weekly training schedules in the form of yoga. Yeah. Um, you know, let's get the body as as relaxed and as supple as we possibly can because it's going to help avoid injuries um, down the road. So I think it's you know I think it's important. You take that downtime. You get a good solid strength program. You know you keep a a minimal of a base up. You know whatever you need to do hour run hour fifteen minutes or an hour bike hour fifteen minutes something around there while the body's repairing. It's very very important to let the body repair, and and you do come out stronger because of that. You know downtime helps your body get stronger. Yeah, and there's a mental element to it as well. You can't keep yeah. your foot on the accelerator mentally all the time. Exactly. And we see that. I, I see that happen all the time as well. It's just race, race. And, and, and sadly, it, it, people who make these drastic life changes are the ones who struggle with the downtime the most. You know, we see these people who make incredible life changes and lose, you know, pounds and pounds and pounds. And they take up running and they take up racing. And then it's every week they want to race or every every month they're doing something hard. And then they get hurt or they break down because they, they just feel that you know, they have this thing in their head that if they're not constantly doing something, they're going to regress. Right. Yeah. And it, that doesn't happen, you know, and it's very, very hard to tell those people and to send that message to people. Look, you've made an amazing life change. You have to protect that life change and you don't protect it by driving it into the ground. You protect it by recovering and, and, and getting a little bit stronger. And so uh, this is the time of the year to do that. Enjoy time with the family. You know, all my people say, what should I eat on Thanksgiving? I say, whatever you want. You know, it's, it's, it's one day, you know, what should I eat on Christmas? I don't care. It's one day, you know, enjoy yourself, relax, take that stress off yourself. And, you know, I'm baking a, 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 I'm making a beef Wellington for my family and, you know, I'm vegan now, but I'll tell you what, I may have some beef Wellington. <laughs> it's one, it's one day. It's not going to kill me. And uh, I, I think people need to get that mindset that, you know, when those special days come up, just relax and enjoy them. Take the pressure off yourself. Yeah, people are hard on themselves. And the other thing I see is when people don't necessarily make their goals, right? They come up a little short of their goals. No. Same personality type wants to double down. Uh, yeah. I know this from personal experience, right? Um, yeah. You want to double down and hit the next one harder and hit the next one harder. At some point, you just can't maintain that peak. You have to step yeah. back and go, next year, you know, take some time off, and then next year you'll peak higher. You know, I, and, and, you know, you've probably heard me say this, you know, let me do the thinking and you do the training, right? Um, you know, my, my job is to think if, if I'm your coach, let me do the thinking, let me figure out what went wrong, what we need to do to change things. And, and, and we'll get there, you know, cause generally I can look back and say, okay, well, you know, this is a mistake we made. Like we talk about the 5k, you know, I worked you a little bit too hard after the marathon. That was you know my mistake. So we know if we come into that situation again, that that's not going to happen. Um, and I say that to all my athletes, you know, let me figure out what went wrong and I'll make the changes. You know, you just relax and you do the training and I'll do the thinking and the planning. And, and, and that, that can work out if you're, you're willing to let go of some control. You've seen me training and racing for a couple of years now. You know, if you had one thing that I could do better, what would it be? Not race as much. You have to that. <laughs> but that's the whole point. Why? Why be in shape if you can't race? Well, you know, it's and and here's the thing. You're not, you know, you're not 35 anymore, and and you know it. I mean, you've said it earlier. It takes you a little bit longer to recover. 
Um, you know, taper is important. Recovery is important. And I just think that, you know, spreading things out um, a little bit more um, in your case, you know, rather because you do a lot of your races very, in very close proximity of each other. And, and I think, you know, if you're going to do if you're going to do a second marathon this year, do a second marathon, but don't run Boston in March and do a second marathon in May. You know, it's run a Boston in March and run a fall marathon and, and in between have a little bit of fun doing some other things. And I say this to people all the time. People don't realize that, you know, when you race, you lose weeks of training. And it depends on what kind of race. If you're running a marathon, you have, you know, taper weeks, you have recovery weeks and a race week. You know, so you've lost a couple, you've lost, you know, with a marathon anywhere from five to six weeks of training, right? Right. Yeah. You know, and that's, yeah. that's a lot, that's a lot of time. So, you know, you do that marathon, you recover from that marathon, and then you say, okay, or you say, let's spread them out a little bit this year and, and race a little bit better. You know, I, I still think you have some great races left in you if you stop beating yourself up in between all the other races, you know, wanting to race. You know, you're assuming that every one of those races is, you know, is a full on, you know, 100% race, right? I mean, can you race at 80% or 70%? You know, something like a relay race. You know, you're not really going 100% there, right? Well, you know what? I, I suppose I, I am, I, but... Yeah, I wish I, <laughs> I wish I could say I believe that, but I don't. Because our competitive nature takes over. Look, I, I remember the last Ragnar I did. You know, a bunch of guys, you know, we had... A, well, not the, one, the last one, because the last one was that... Well, the last one, even that crazy one in Portland with the weather. You know, every... You know, Sam starts it off, and she's running five-minute miles. Now everyone has to run five-minute miles, Right. Yeah, I, I mean, wasn't running five minute miles. <laughs> no, but we were all trying like heck to run as hard as we could. Oh I, yeah. You know, the one yeah. I did, yeah. So you, so what? In essence, what happens in over a two day period? You run three races, right? You know, it's yeah. yeah. So I wish I could say yeah, that's that's great, you know, but that's not the way our the human mind works. You get to a race and. You know, and especially someone like you, because you're so high visibility and someone like me, you know, we have high visibility profiles to go out there and say, well, you know, hey, everyone, I'm racing today, but I'm just going to go out and run easy. You know, you, you have a hard time doing that mentally because, you know, people are expecting Chris to have a great race. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And sure. so and so mentally, you you know, you talk yourself into pushing harder than you probably want should be. And it doesn't do us do you a lot of good. And I'm as guilty of that as anyone. Um, so it's very, very hard for the age grouper to go out and do quote training race, unquote. Yeah. Well, it's good to spend time with your friends. You know, you can do that at volunteer tables too. Yeah. You know? <laughs> some of my favorite, I have to tell you, some of my favorite times is being at the finish line of races, watching you guys race. Um, yeah. you know, that obviously that's my job, but, um, you know, last year uh, I volunteered again up at Ironman Lake Placid and. Um, you know, got to go to a lot of different places at the course. I was at the finish line for all 13 of our teammates who finished the race. I mean, that's, that's a very rewarding experience. And I think, um, uh, a lot of people who volunteer, um, and, and help their friends at races, they, they feel the same way. They, they, they get a lot out of it. So, yeah. and it's, yeah, it's a great way to stay involved with, it's a great way to stay involved with the community too. So. Yeah. Yeah. It's a lot of fun. If people have never volunteered, you know, it's, it's a blast. Uh, especially at the finish line or even in the high miles. If you're in one of those high mile water stops, those yeah. are, you get to see a lot of drama. It's a lot of fun. Oh, I know. I, I mean, crewing it at 100 milers is is really, I mean, you really get to see 
what people are made of when you're at a hundred mile and you're, and you're watching and crewing or helping friends there. It's uh that's a, a real, a real different test to someone's. I've trained Ironmen who've gone to run hundred milers and they'll tell you, you know, hundred milers, the hardest thing they've ever done in their life. And it's to watch those struggles. You're right. It's pretty cool. So what would it take for me to run hundred miles? Oh, you could do it easy. <laughs> easy. The operative word there. Well, you, I mean, you, the, the training process for you, you know, I wouldn't have to train change drastically. The great thing for you is you'd get to, you know, run back to back on the weekends and, and get some really long miles in. But again, because you have that, that mindset to do it and the body that can handle the long miles, the long, easy miles, you could run a hundred miler. It, you know, you would just have to you know pick out a, and, and I would say that, you know, a lot of people I think make a mistake with a hundred milers they pick out. Um, I actually think some of the more challenging hundred milers are probably some of the better ones to do just because the scenery and the support that goes along with them. Some of the less challenging ones, you know, I mean, hundred miles, it's a hundred miles. It's challenging. It's not what I'm, I'm not saying it's anything easy about a hundred miler, but I think you know, to like to go out to Utah and do a hundred miler out there on a very challenging course. I mean, it, it's beautiful. It keeps you going there's a lot of stuff that goes into that rather than, you know, well, I'm going to run a hundred miles, you know, six miles from where I live, yeah. you know, at the end of at the, at 50 or 60 miles and everyone starts having those thoughts of like, why the hell am I out here? I don't think doing a loop race at a hundred miler is wise for the first time or either. And especially if they're really, if they're really set on finishing because, you know, get out there and, you know, get 50 miles out and, and know that you got 50 miles to go. It's the way it should be. Right. Yeah, and I would think you got really got to backload your effort. Yeah, but there's no way to spread your effort that you're not going to have some pretty dark times. Oh, yeah, you go. It's, I mean, hundred mile races, you go through dark times. There's, um, it's it, it, it's as much of a mental challenge as a physical challenge. You know, you get into those night periods, that long overnight period, and um, you've never been there before. You know, I always train my hundred milers to do at least one overnight run. So, you know, so they've been there and they know what it's like to run through the night with the demons in their head, you know, cause the, the demons get in your head and then it's dark and you're out there by yourself. And, you know, we have one person on our team, Stephanie, she actually sits down and takes little naps on the side of the road, on the side of the trail, like little 10 minute naps. She'll be running along. And if you're pacing her and you're, she'll be running along. She'll say, okay, nap time. And she sits down on the side of the trail. She takes a 10 or 15 minute nap and gets up like she's been sleeping all day and runs again. That's a learned skill. Yeah, yeah. There's this other thing that happens when you get into the, the really long distances is you start to lose track of time. Time sort of telescopes on you. It's, part, it's, it's basically physiologically that part of your brain starts to shut down. But, you know, it, the way you feel it is it's like, oh, what just happened to two hours? Well, we'll keep that. Maybe we'll do a, hundred, we'll do a hundo this, this uh, summer. That might, be, that might be a lot of fun. Keep that on, keep that on your hat in the back burner. Yeah, because we can still get the miles in for Boston. It's complimentary. Yeah, I'll come. I'll come pace you and crew you if you do a hundred. So. Well, I need a lot of people to pace me and crew me if I do a hundred. Well, I'm sure we wouldn't have a hard time, you know, especially if, you know, uh, you know, we know enough people between us. We probably we probably have more people pacing and crewing you than they have support in the race. So. <laughs> <laughs> That's what I need. Twelve yeah. people around me. <laughs> I guys, remember you wouldn't yeah. be able to see the two guys carrying me in the middle. 
I remember one year we had four people running Rocky Raccoon at the same time, and we had 25 teammates show up, you know, to, yeah. to go down yeah. and crew for them and pay some. I mean, so I'm sure we could find a bunch of people to take care of you. Well, I'm gonna I'm gonna let you go. So, do you have a, a website now? We do. We have our new our, our new tracking website. It will be available for subscription on January 1st. It's uh, www.dailyfitbook.com. It's a it's a, my own creation of uh, a combination of Training Peaks and Strava. Um, but I think the Education Center alone is going to make it worthwhile for people to use it. We're actually going to. We're actually going to have an education center that will teach people how to be their own coach Um, rather than just give them workout libraries. They're going to actually understand how to use the workout libraries and schedule their own training cycles um, productively. So that's one of the things I'm most excited about with it. Yep. So all these great workouts you hear, hear us talking about, those are all in there. Yep. They will all be in there and they'll be there. There's going to be a, a webinar series in the education center that will take you from beginning of you know how to train through how to set up a training program um and then you'll just be able to go in there and use the workouts and and take care of yourself so all right we'll let you go i gotta get back to work so i can make the train home tonight all right man it's always good catching up with you all right cheers right bye sometimes it takes a third party to tell us what we already know So a little bit of navel-gazing, 10 things you probably didn't know about me. Number one, I was a chubby kid. Yep, timid, unathletic, always picked last in all the sports. And I remember how depressed one little league coach would get when he realized he had to play me. My best baseball move was to bunt. (laughs) I had a lazy eye as a kid, and I wore an eye patch for a while. And I had an operation to tighten up the muscle on the left side. But it was too late at that point, and my eyes never learned to work together. So now I am monoscopic, which essentially means I don't have stereo vision. And it makes depth perception very difficult. 3D movies just look blurry to me. You know those stereo paintings that were popular for a while? I can't see anything. Number two. When we did... The President's Physical Fitness Challenge in 7th grade. I failed every single thing except the sit-ups. I could do a lot of sit-ups. And I remember that day because I didn't wear sneakers. And I ended up trying to do all the running and jumping in boots. And it didn't work out well. Number three, also in 7th grade, I used to race the bus to school by running from the bus stop the mile or so to school. I grew up on the top of a big hill. The bus stop was at the bottom. So every day we had to hike down in the morning and up in the afternoon. And the number of the bus we rode on my first day of first grade was bus number five. Hey, why wait for the bus when you can beat it on foot? Number four. I drove a 1969 Cadillac Eldorado as a teenager. It was a hand-me-down from my dad. When he was growing up, everyone aspired to own Cadillacs. If you owned a Cadillac, you had made it. And he would buy old Cadillacs. And I took my driver's ed test in a 1976 Eldorado. That thing was 18.6 feet long. Look it up. It was a bitch to parallel park. 
I remember that it wouldn't start when the inspector came out to give me the test. So my dad crawled underneath it and smacked the starter with a rock. And then it started. And I got my license. Number five. We got tested for IQ in, I don't know, third or fourth grade. And I don't think we're supposed to know the results, but my mom told me I had an IQ of 142. And I don't know if that's true or if she was just messing with me, but I've always acted as if it was true. Number six, when I got to prep school, I joined the wrestling team, even though I'd been playing ice hockey my whole life because they were nice to me. I was pretty good at it, because all it really required was working out all the time. My parents came to my first match, and I got my ass kicked, because I didn't know anything, and they never came back. In my junior year, we had a great season as a team, and my favorite match was that year. I dropped the kid from the ready down position with a power half Nelson right onto his back into a pin to win the match at the start of the second round in front of the whole school. And people stopped picking on me after that. I remember a drunk hockey player trying to fight me when I got to college. And I didn't know how to fight. I just grabbed him and put him on his back and held him until he promised to stop. Hockey players are crazy. Number seven. I got married when I was 22 to a girl who invited me to her senior prom because she was stuck for a date when we were both 16. That means I think we've been married for 33 years. Also means we've been dating for 39 years. Where does life go? We've had two kids, two dogs, and three houses. Actually, four houses. Number eight, I got a tattoo of a Tasmanian devil on my hip when I was 18 years old. I was a bit rebellious, but I was smart enough to get it on my hip where no one can see it unless I want them to. It's a full-color Tasmanian devil with green eyes because I used to joke with my wife when we were dating that she had green eyes. Her eyes are blue. Number nine, I've only broken one bone in my life. It was playing pickup ice hockey in my 20s. I lost the puck in the defensive corner and was so mad at myself, I dove face first to block the defenseman's shot from the point. And I took it in the face, and it broke my jaw, and there was a lot of blood. The thing I don't tell people is that defenseman who broke my jaw was actually a defense woman. We had some college women playing with us that day. I ended up having my jaw wired for a month. I had to go on a liquid diet. You know, you have to carry wire cutters with you in case you start to gag or vomit so you don't choke to death. You'd be surprised what you can turn into liquid with a good blender. I lost a lot of weight. Number 10. I only started running to get into shape for wrestling season. We used to train on the road during wrestling season in our wrestling shoes, which are basically ballet shoes. I joined the cross-country team because the two captains, Tommy Fitz and Timmy Foster, were also captains of the wrestling team. I loved the training. The racing, not so much. I was the fifth man on the team. 
The way the scoring works in cross country is you get points for how many of the other team you beat. And there were scenarios where I counted in the scoring, but not many. My first cross country race, I remember, was the Canterbury Invitational in Connecticut. I injured my Achilles. I always had trouble with my Achilles tendons, which just goes to show you, everyone has their Achilles heel. Okay, now we're going to move you towards the exit, please. Okay, my friends, you have wound down your training season to the end of 2017 and to the end of episode 4-378 of the Run Run Live podcast. Well done. What have we got going on in the new year? Actually, big things. Yeah, I decided I needed to set myself up with a running goal that was an actual challenge. So I signed up for the Burning River 100 in July and will chronicle my training for the race. Yeah, I know I said I'd never do it, but you hear it in my conversation with Coach. You hear that turning point. So why not, right? I've done a lot of stuff in my life, but I don't have a belt buckle. And there's a good chance I'll fail spectacularly either in my training or the race itself. So if you're going to set BHAGs, big hairy-ass goals, you have to have a good chance of failure. That failure is the stuff that teaches you and forces you out of your comfort zone and forces you to grow. So calling all my ultra friends, I'm going to need advice. I'm going to need support. And I'm going to need pacers. Here's your chance, vegan running mom, dirt dog, cooker, leadfoot, all the others. Once-in-a-lifetime opportunity to watch Chris, Mad Dog Russell, cry like a baby and soil himself. And in addition to this, (laughs) I'll be running my 20th Boston Marathon. And yes, I am qualified. We'll have to schedule something fun around that. Oh, and I committed to finishing my zombie novel. And there are some personal and professional goals that you don't care about that I'll be chasing as well. 2018 is going to be epic, one one way or the other. (laughs) But that's all in the future. What about this week? Well, I'll be wrapping up my 2017 season with the Groton Marathon. I've got at least five folks who said they were running with me. We'll see who shows up because it's going to be single-digit cold. But you know my theory. If you do something truly stupid people will show up. On the first of the year, I will run the Hangover Classic with Teresa, then go jump in the Atlantic Ocean because that's what you do, right? And last but not least, I am kicking off a 30-day diet reboot on January 1st with my nutrition coach, Rachel. And I'll be logging my food and stats and blogging about it daily. And I'll try to catch up with Rachel each week to review progress. And I'll probably record those weekly chats and put them up on the podcast feed. I thought it would be useful for people to hear my, our point of view on clean eating for endurance athletes. So you think that's enough or or what? See, another one of my theories is when you have too much to do, schedule more stuff. It'll sort itself out. Ah. I've been listening to a meditation podcast on the train in the morning called Meditation Minis, the Meditation Minis podcast. And episode two is about using meditation to clarify your vision, i.e. figure out what you want to do. And this is a great exercise to create goals for your new year. 
So she, the uh, the lady there, Shell, she walks you into a meditative state and then brings you into the future so that you're looking back on your life. And then she asks a simple question. What are three things that you wish you had done? Or what are three things that you're proudest of having done? And I found that context very helpful to sort out the things I'm working on and what is important and what will make a difference. So try it. Give it a try yourself. Don't put off your dreams. Put them down on paper and find a way to get them done in 2018. And I'll see you out there. And then he thought that he just couldn't die. So Ned, he laughed so hard it made him cry. Ten things you probably don't know about me. There goes the dog. Going up to get in my bed. <laughs>